In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome. Indeed. Oh, so in this section, I suppose today, uh, I'm just going to name topics. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, narrative and agenda, uh, just generally that uh, a huge percent of uh, each of us is determined by our perception. And so the reality that we live in isn't a shared reality, and it's not the reality that like we don't live in exactly the reality as is that's exactly right and you know i think what would i say the fact that we share physical bodies that we have this physical reality that we live in is something of a gift from god because without it how many of us would actually want to occupy the same social space you know in um c.s lewis's the great divorce which is mm -hmm. sort of a a discussion of heaven and hell he talks about how heaven well more appropriately hell is composed of a huge city that's infinite in all directions and the people who live in it just move further and further and further away from each other, building themselves new places to live as they get further and further away. And the idea there is that left to ourselves, we would pretty much just do exactly that. We would hate each other enough that we would not want to occupy the same space and we would go to as far away from other people as we could and the more um, extreme our dysfunction, the faster and further we would go. And there's also additional layers there of not cleaning up after yourself and leaving behind your previous messes. There's a lot of overlapping themes in that story for sure. Um, I would take a second even before even go into that and saying that uh, the narrative uh, and the agenda do create a reality for you and providing some reasons why that, you know, some concrete reasons for how that might be true. Um, do you, does that strike you as, as something that's easy enough to comment on? I've got a couple in my mind that are pretty obvious. They're very interesting examples of how people live in different realities. Well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a really uh, popular quote from, what's his name? Um, oh, I can't remember now. He was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps, and he said that we, when whatever set of circumstances we're in, the only choice we really have when everything else is stripped away is how we respond to the things that are done to us. And I think it was Al Franken. No, that can't be right. Okay, I would push back on that because this applies to everyone. Um, part of it comes down to how we relate to each other. Um, part of it comes down to how we hear each other. And part of it comes down to how we react to what we've heard and, and thinking that what we've heard is true to our perspective, but not understanding where the perspective's coming from. So here's one of the examples I, I was thinking of. Um, a gentleman posted uh, that he is Arizona, right? My name is Arizona. And a lot of people ask me about the location. 
I've never been there. I, I was a military uh, child, and I was named after a warship. My name is based after a warship, not a place. So if you didn't happen to have that perspective to understand that he's probably got a large laundry list of uh, bullet points that would, you know, that would be his perspectives as a military child. And a little bit of conversation might help you understand that to help understand when he speaks what he's saying. But a simple thing like I'm named Arizona could mean something completely different to both the person that the name belongs to and every single person that hears it. Because each person that went to Arizona is going to have a particular view on that name and assign things to that person based on that name, right? So your perspective with your life experience applied to someone inappropriately is going to give you um, a narrative on that person that is not, well, it, I would Doesn't really, it, it may or, yeah, it may be incorrect and still proper to follow God's path. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that God does not get the right message to people's ears when, when it's needed, but you shouldn't assume, I would caution the assumptions that say marketplace it doesn't mean something uh, dastardly or um, Im improvement, progress, progress, progress. The word progress can be used terribly, right? So Victor the, Frankel, the, by the way. Victor Frankel was the one that was given the uh, the perspective there. The, he said what he said was that basically that the last freedom we have when everything else is stripped away is how we respond to the circumstances in front of us. And that freedom would still exist even if you are in a position of power. Right? It still it doesn't go away. Right. It applies to everybody. And the reality right. is that perspective changes his reality so much compared to people who put themselves in the position of a victim that there's almost no similarity between the two positions it's it's the problem of putting yourself in any position because if you say i'm king there are there are times you're not if you say i'm slave there are times you're not if you say i'm an adult there are times you're not right hey now so and so that's the problem is that as a as a narrative, as if you if you see yourself as on a train, you have a, a complete trip set. If you see yourself as going somewhere, you can get on the train and get off the train at the right time to get to where you're going. True. So Well, uh, and I guess I guess to me I can take this even deeper, you know, because um actually, interestingly enough, this whole thing this whole question played into the background story behind bright star. Okay. So when I was contemplating what the background of the energemetrist six universe was and what bright star was to be, I, I asked myself or, or more appropriately, uh, more appropriately, I ran into the, the, the parable of the wedding feast, I think it is, where people are cast into the outer darkness where there's great wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I started thinking about this in these terms, that, that we each live in a reality. Imagine that, imagine that our connection to reality right now is de de uh, defined by the physical, but that... You know, when I would deny that, well, it's secured by the physical anyway. Sure, sure. The fact yeah. that we are forced to share a physical reality requires us to have some contact with everything else. We can define what we believe about that, but it does require that. But when we choose to believe things that aren't true, it's like there's uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Last Battle, wrote this scene about these dwarves that are in a, in a stable in the middle of this battle. And as after the battle ends, they're transferred, translated to a wedding table, a wedding feast table. 
And one's talking to the other. He's like, oh, I found this grubby leaf of lettuce. And the, the other one's talking to the next one. And they're, they're talking about this nasty food they found in this dark stable when really they're sitting at this, at this table with this massive feast spread out in front of them. And what C.S. Lewis was trying to communicate there is that when people choose to have a particular perspective on the world, God doesn't choose to take that away from them. Instead, he lets them believe what they choose to believe. It's essentially the last or the most essential part of free will is that we can believe what we choose about the world around us. And so let's move that into a more um, general setting. What if each of us has that capability to imagine a world around ourselves that is maybe not does not have the same force as reality, but when we move into our dreams, when we move into the world that is outside of consciousness, that world is sort of defined by what we believe and what we think. And we can create a world that has as much or as little attachment to God's world as we choose. And so when we die, what's to say that we are anything other than just left to our own devices in that sense? I don't think I that's think that actually it's... the way it works, but I think that the idea there is one of, if I'm creating a fictional world, that world has some some amount of reality. It bears on the world in that it changes the way people think. So it has more reality than some physical objects do in terms of how people relate to each other. And if that's sure. the case, if that's the case, then how much does this reality attach to God's reality versus not? That's my choice as the creator of the world. I can attach it to God's reality and have chosen to do so by echoing what I've echoed, you know, echoing the life of Christ to the degree that I have and trying to make it trying to make it fit the way I did. But that was how the that was how this all played into the origin of Bright Star was the idea of our perceptions and our agendas define our reality. And so something along the lines of uh set to our locations according to our beliefs to be in uh, Congress with like-minded uh, personalities? Is that the concept? The concept is that our shared connection is pretty much through God. And that the only way we really share anything with each other that's meaningful is by that connection with him. And so the more we choose to connect our realities to his, the more we get that connection to like-minded people. But that as with C.S. Lewis's version of hell and the great divorce, the more we have a freedom to define our own reality, the more we tend to move it away from everybody else. We tend to want to build a reality that puts us at the top so that we can be the the king or the prince of our reality um, because it feels good right and it, it yeah. gives you uh, it, it gives you a, an ego booster yeah sure. it, it does play into um, there's been plenty of pop culture um, personalities lately uh, bringing up great uh, I believe Russian writers that uh, the gulag archipelago and things like that that mm -hmm. do frame narrative you know um, two men working pushing blocks through the mud One's frowning and cursing and one's singing and praising. And they ask the guy why he's so happy. And he's like, well, we're building a temple. They ask the other guy, why is so, why is so unhappy? Well, I'm schlepping a rock. Right? So you're, that is common enough of a concept that your framing is important. But I think even on a more subconscious level, if you believe in your heart of hearts that everybody's family, everybody's um, has a chance to be good in them, short of a few monsters out there that have got something put together wrong in them. Uh, uh, I don't even think that's, I don't even think that's a thing. I think that those people you would call monsters are closer to what I should have been than, than is very comfortable to contemplate. I think it's, I think it's all a choice at some level. I have a, a really hard time condemning, some face that I don't know 
without having seen it. So that's my that's my only qualm about speaking in absolute terms. Sure. <clears throat> that's fine. Um, so if you've got this uh, perspective that um, you should help your children, you should help your dad, you should help your mom, you should help your sisters and your cousins, right? Is this extends out in the right frame of mind to, to everybody. And therefore, if someone forgot to open a door for you, it wouldn't ruin your day. Because if your sister didn't open a door for you or your brother, okay. Right? I'll get you next time. Sure. It's not even a thought. It's family. Yeah. And if you could, and so those sort of perspectives can really offer a serious protection. I have a constant running narrative that we all have sin, we all have faults, we all have parts that we could not know because we can't even hold all of the picture. So how could we know all of the picture? That I I just go into everything under the idea that I'm wrong. I, I'm at best. I'm, I'm generally heading in the direction he wants me to head blindly, and at worst, yeah. I haven't noticed something that he put out for me. And I'm always sure. looking. Right? Did I did I miss something? Is there well, something? Well, and, and at worst, I have at worst I have set myself to be selfish in a way where I'm going to actively work against what he has for me because. Hmm. Indeed, indeed, and it, you know. We, and certainly me, I, tend to process things um, in an advance or with great emotion and then bring that out. So then when someone sees my final thought on things, they're not seeing my processing through it. And then oftentimes when I process through things with people, they are processing with me and they don't even end up in the same place. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, and you know, I guess on a concrete level, talking about how people form their own reality, how many people do either of us know for whom sports is a huge chunk of what they give their attention to, or politics is a, just a huge chunk of what they give their attention to, where for you or me, those two subjects are pretty minor things. They're sort of background things, not, you know, they're things we'll talk about here or there, but not extensively, right? Sure. Sure. Well, and they're listed as hobbies, but even that is a misnomer because depending on what you're doing, it, it may just be technology not yet uh, realized or application not yet realized. Um, yeah. So the, the difference between hobby and profession is someone hasn't figured out how to capitalize or make money off of it, not necessarily that it, uh, signifying its importance. So True. What I'm speaking to, though, isn't the isn't the monetary importance of something. It's just how much of our reality, how much of our world we give room to a particular concept in. Cause you know, for me, a huge chunk of mine is taken up by my family and my kids. And then by this writing stuff that I've been doing and by the ideas that sort of govern the world to a degree, but even that's more background to me most of the time than just the immediate concerns. Right. Sure. We should bring in the uh, concept, I'm, I'm always looking around, I'm always looking around. People should be looking around. Um, uh, too many people, uh, I would assume a majority of human beings, accept the reality that's presented to them. They're not trying to build a narrative. They're just accepting what is on the TV or on the internet or on you know, the newspaper, whatever their forced narrative that they're receiving. I find that plenty of people are not questioning questioning enough to see if they're being fed something that is, you know. Well, that's uh, obviously the case. I mean, it's 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 obviously true that people just blindly take in way too much. Blindly take in too much is one way, but I also have found quite often people say, "I had a Hershey bar in 1972. It's the same Hershey bar now," and that's not true for people. It's not true for causes. It's not true for the definitions of words, right? It's just not. So if you haven't checked up in a year, then you probably, right, are biting off more than you can chew or chew or not looking intently enough at... Uh, Paying attention. Right. At trying to, to recheck your work and make sure that that is still true. Uh, just because you looked up and there was not an asteroid falling from the sky doesn't mean there never will be one. 
Right? True. So, True. Well, and, and your point's well taken. I mean... So part of the narrative comes from what's coming at you and what you accept. Yeah. Yeah. And and how you decide to interpret it. And that's sort of how where the enemy gets his claws in things, right? Is if we interpret it one way versus another, it totally changes our perception of what's going on. And that that's actually another interesting thing to talk about is perspective and how much it changes our our approach to things. And I would also add into that discussion of perspective, um, society, I know I'm thinking family, but mm -hmm. society, if you've got your family and they are lifting you up and, and giving you good jobs and smiles and pats on the back at the projects you're working on, that's likely positive. But then if you move into those projects so much that they're, you know, getting to where's my, my family member, you know, I don't care about this money you're sitting on my table. Where's my family member? Mm -hmm. Then you've put too, then you've put too much into it, right? Yep. That's so if you, yeah, once you get to the point that you've disconnected from your society in order to accomplish some random goal, you've probably lost your perspective on uh, your correct targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when people use the word perspective. A lot of times what they actually mean is opinion. I have a different opinion than you. They'll say, I have a different perspective than you. What they actually mean is, I have a different opinion than you. And that's probably fine, but the fact is, our our perspectives are sort of the ground we're standing on when we look at a set of facts. So when when I look at something... And I bring in my experience in the world and my experience with scripture and my experience with spiritual things and my thoughts about myth and narrative and all of that stuff. And I apply that to a set of facts. That's a whole lot different from somebody who comes in from a perspective where they basically just gravitate only toward one particular set of things or away from other things. It's like I have plenty of relatives who don't give a whole lot of thought to scripture and i have plenty of relatives who basically center everything they say on a scriptural perspective without drawing in the real world in any meaningful sense and in either case they're missing something important that's, indeed that's perspective it's it's about the ground you're standing on shows you what's going on in a different way than if you were standing two feet to the right or two feet to the left. It, it shows you what's going on in it at a different angle. And the God's eye perspective, most people would think it's from straight up, but really he sees everything from all the angles and understands all that goes into everything, which means his is really the only objective perspective. That certainly makes sense. Um, I can certainly see um, perfectly natural forces, natural goods, right? People working for their families, doing the best they can, butting heads, right? And, and from a different perspective, I'm, I'm helping my family and I'm helping my family. Well, we're both, you know, <clears throat> aiming for the same target and there's only space for one of us and that can cause some yep. extreme strife. Yep. Oh, well, and then also, also yeah. something to consider um, in the narrative. Um, I'm really bad at other groups. Um, oh, I, I want to say it's Hindis, but they, the idea uh, that some groups might say that uh, a, a comparative, like they've got most people, right, are required to do. Uh, the normal, everyday, uh, uh, good person things to do. But then there's another group that's responsible for more things. Right? They have a higher responsibility because of their uh, religious caste or whatnot. And reading through it and looking at um, the breakdown, it did feel a bit like uh, the Gnosticism where you've got a higher level of attainment to, to have greater responsibility and greater knowledge as opposed to disseminating it upon all. And knowing that that's what you're walking into, 
it would help you kick out demons out of people that it believes that they've they're they're not responsible for something. It would help people humble themselves on the, what they do feel like they're responsible to. Um, <clears throat> so, understanding the perspective, especially for something like missionary work, um, and as also business. I mean, anytime you're dealing with communication, trying to say the words to to point at the the meaning that you actually mean as opposed to saying words that you don't even know or how uh, know how are being taken is darn near impossible the best you can do is just ask and try to like communicate sure. back and forth right and say sure. do you hear this do you you know can you explain back what, what that would mean to you right and yeah there's a lot of work involved that you should go into it especially with uh, a new face right sure so, the assumptions are enemies. Um, hypocrisy is an enemy always. Um, what, what are the uh, the friends and enemies of a proper narrative and agenda? Well, we well, know the agenda is God's agenda, but well, and and agenda is kind of a loaded term. What I what I mean when I say agenda is something along the lines of a an intent that people hold to a point where they are willing to sacrifice truth for the sake of their agenda. Agenda they have a name is for that. well. They have a name for that. It's uh, the comparative morality. Right? This is okay because of that, or it's not as bad as that. This right? <clears throat> the comparative morality. And there's some name for it's not so bad that I do this because of that, as opposed to two wrongs don't make a right. Well, and I'm not even talking about wrongs and rights. I'm not even talking about morality. What I'm talking about is I know just about everybody I know has a set of beliefs they hold to so strongly that they can't see past them. If there is a truth that is outside of those or that that touches those in a way that is not familiar to them, they get hostile to that truth. And that goes for, like I say, just about everybody I know. I'm sure that same is true of me, though. Yep. We That's, all have them. Well, though it's probably less so for me than almost anybody I know, just because, to me, truth is absolute, and I have, I have no desire for anything more than the truth. I want the truth above my own comfort and emotional well-being. I'm more interested in the truth than I am in my own sanity. So when that's the case, you tend to you tend to accept the things that you find that are true and to be very careful about making sure things are true. And and I guess what I would say along those lines is that that with most people the agenda may be as simple as the Democrats are rigging the elections. Okay, I'm serious. It may be that simple as an agenda to the point where they're willing to shrug off anything that contradicts that even when it's true. Or it may be well, as simple as Joe Biden is a good guy. Or something or, like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we've, we've encountered this sort of thing over and over again from bad. any angle. Right, exactly. Orange, and or, orange man bad, yeah. Orange man th that's, bad. That's a perfect example. That's, a, that's one that really stuck in people's heads. And, and the fact is, no matter what the agenda is, if you value it what over a great, truth, you're in trouble. What a wonderful teaching moment. What a wonderful teaching moment. That, that's when you say you're right. And so was everyone before him. And so are you. And so am I. Right? Well, that's that, certainly a, true. We, we all right, have a, our... Right? Yeah. If, you can't admit, if you can't admit the one that came before and the one that was running against and the one that will run next and yourself, right? if you can't see it, then broaden your overton window. <laughs> well, yeah. No, that's right. Well, and, and change your... I guess what it comes down to is this, that, that when you have an agenda that determines your reality that rejects truth, you have internalized a lie into your worldview, into your belief system, and that is going to poison you. So 
at some level, we all have to choose the truth over everything else if we want to be healthy individuals. And, and a lot of times you can tell how unhealthy somebody is by how far they've pushed the truth out of their life in some particular area. Well, and I think that uh, if I'm looking at those things that I would guard against most strongly, it would be listening to someone um, professing that, that what they've got is God. Um, right? Believing that, uh, that I'm doing something short of very specifically being told, which very few things do I believe I've been told. You know, uh, just ju don't assign divinity where it doesn't belong is one of my biggest uh, tools to, to try to keep my narrative straight. Um, I use hypocrisy as my enemy, right? If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. It must be true everywhere if it's true. It, God doesn't do true over here and not true over there. It's just true. It's not true in a place. Often, it's not true in a time. It's just true. Well, and, and what is what is that conjugation of the Bible? The past, present, forever tense. It is a tense that's used in the Bible and not often used anywhere else. Where this particular thing is said to be always and forever. It's not. Right? Some things are said as it happened I in the past. Don't know that there is an English tense that encompasses exactly what you're talking about. Thusly, right, is the is the type of word that means forever. Always was, always will be. Hmm. But the, the old world, pre-American pre, pre history, there were tenses that, that well... Oh, sure. A sure. Lot of, Depending that, on the language, there have been tenses for a lot of these different things that we don't have them for. It's, mm -hmm. it's rather troublesome sometimes not being able to find the right language because it isn't part of your language. And one of the reasons that parables and, and stories are so good because they, they overcome language. Yeah, that's true. Hey, we're coming up on a break here. You want to take a quick break? and? Sure, we can do that. Okay. We'll be back in a minute. Be back in a minute. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by the Energemetra 6 universe and by the upcoming book Bright Star by me, Jared Michaud. If you're interested in reading the book, head over to e6universe.com. Uh, I'm still looking for people for the book launch team. In return for posting a few reviews on bookstore sites and sharing on your own social media, you can get a free physical copy of the book and uh, read it that way, or if you'd like, we do have a few copies for sale for pre-sale between now and April of 2024 when the book comes out. Modern Apocrypha is made possible by North Arrow Coffee. It's the pro-life coffee company where 15% of every sale goes to a pro-life cause. And it's so good that even us non-coffee drinkers love the company. Everybody I know who I have... Uh, given North Arrow Coffee to who is a coffee drinker loves it. So the quality of the product is wonderful and they're not a company that hates you. So if you're interested, head over to northarrowcoffee.co and use the promo code E6 for 10% off with your order. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, so we're talking about uh, narr narrative and perspective. And I've got a couple of things that I kind of want to uh, touch on. Uh, the first one I, I want to talk uh, kind of more forward on and get your uh, comments on. The other one is more of a question for you for me to comment on. Okay. So we'll start with what I have to say on, on narrative. Um, if, we're, if we're all living a narrative um, with an agenda, Right, we're all living a narrative with an agenda. The way if I would you... define agenda is something that is a narrative stronger than truth that we that we use to a point where we use it to keep truth out. 
so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't use the word agenda where we have a narrative that we're living but with a perspective maybe with a particular place we're standing but I, I wouldn't say an agenda I would say an agenda I think that the agenda of finding truth is an agenda that's that's the goal you may be you may have a wrong goal but it's still a goal all right. I, I don't like using the word that way, but I understand what you're getting at. We can say goal then. Let's change. Let, let me use the word goal. You, you're, you're, the idea being that a lot of people, if not everybody, sees themselves as a character, if not the character of their story, with a goal. Right. And with that, I would say that uh, we could pick a name. Right. You could say, I'm a detective. I'm a hero. I'm a right. So let's pick hero. Hero is a great one. I'm a hero. What does that mean? Which hero are you? I, I live the life of a hero. I want to be a hero, right? When I look at a hero, that could be Joan of Arc, right? That could be any number of horrible killers. Or for me, that is Christ. He's the best hero, right? That's who I'm trying to be like. That's, you know, that's. Yeah. As I go through um, the hero uh, word, what I assigned to hero was the best of good, and that took a long time. You know, if you yeah. see if you see what you consider in your perspective to be to be injustice or unfairness or suffering or whatever it may be, and you have the wrong perspective of what a hero is, you may take care of the situation, but not permanently take care of the situation, right? The idea of giving a man a meal versus teaching him how to provide for himself. Right. Um, the hero shouldn't come and save the day. He should come and teach the people, <laughs> right? There's a lot of, a lot of, as you pick your narrative and your goal, you have to pick the right goal. Otherwise, no matter what narrative you pick, it will be heading towards their own goal. Right. Um, are there any, I mean, pastor is a big one. I want to be a pastor, right? Pastor for what? Pastor to what? Okay. That's the, the people see themselves as that. And um, people that see themselves as leader, right? All of these single word descriptions of a character, if you will, you know, mm -hmm. a, a man, a, a person's character, um, they, they really do sink in deeper than the one word. <clears throat> yeah. and, and you have to have, the aligned goal in order for any narrative to to provide the result that you are expecting right if you if you think that you're doing one thing but you're actually heading towards a different goal you'll keep on toiling and toiling away and not moving in the direction you think you're moving boy if i had experience with that in my life yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that was the first go ahead yeah well, nothing to say directly about that. I mean, that makes sense to me, and I, I think I agree. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing that I would say that that sort of calls to mind is an interesting point that maybe it would deserve more expanding on, but it's certainly worth mentioning, and that is that we're all the hero of our own narratives in our own heads most of the time. It's hard not to be. Um, and, and what I mean by that is even the worst people even the most even the most despicable human beings have found a way to rationalize their actions and the places they stand to make it so that in their own minds they are the hero of their story and the, i i think that we've got a wonderful protection for those of us that read our bibles because it's not a story about one um it, it does allow for the mind to conceptualize that you may have a chapter you may have a paragraph but the story is not yours and that and that the main character of the story gave his life to save you from all your darkness and despair and all the death that you live in and, and that boy, does kind of bring that. me absolutely yeah. that that brings me into the um, the narrative. If if I could ask the question or figure out how to ask the question, the the slice, the perspective difference, the teaching um, 
mode, the goal, the uh, everything about the way it's constructed between the Old Testament being a community and a people and the New Testament being a man. I'm curious on your input on that and, and that concept. We've got the Old Testament to teach us about community and people and such. And then we have the New Testament to teach about individual in this very same group. Well, you know, and it, it's really it's really fascinating what... So taking a half a step back here, thinking of this from the perspective of the creator of the narrative of scripture, who is God, what it was he created for us there is really fascinating because he gives us truth from so many different angles and in so many different ways that it's truly awe-inspiring. So let me, let me give you an example of that. What you were just talking about, about going from the community down to the individual, one of the things that I've heard people say is the thing that Western civilization gave us that nothing else did was the focus on the individual as being the most important part of the story. And I would say that comes from exactly what you just pointed out, that that God gave us exactly that perspective on things by pointing to Christ as being the center of the story and the salvation that he brought us and the the work that he did to redeem the world makes that story more more vibrant because he is the individual but it also gives us the example of how we are supposed to live and then you can broaden that back out into community again talking about how we're to relate to each other in that how we are to be part of the body and how the eye can't say to the foot i don't need you because both members are part of the same body and by the same token i can't say to another member of the body of christ you aren't necessary instead i have to understand that that person may not they may rub me wrong they may be totally different from me but they fulfill a role that is absolutely necessary same as i do how Does would that you speak relate to what you were there's so much there that it's it's hard to pinpoint because it's not just one thing. Sure. Um, I, I notice I notice from those that that do diligently read um, that they've got some sort of understanding of a vast history preceding us, a blink of a moment presently that will affect a future spanning farther than we can imagine. Yeah. So that also is a perspective that in and of itself is a perspective that we are on, you know, a longer string of time. Um, and if you can internalize it, I, modern words, ugh, but if you can internalize that and have it be a part of your reality, then you would never act for today. You would see today in perspective of the past and work towards an appropriate future as a matter of course, because you can see it. Right? It's been presented to you that it's, it's something that exists. And for those that uh, have never been exposed to it, they, it's perhaps something that's difficult to understand. And the longer that you've got it, uh, we've, we've talked before about uh, the difference between reading something and living something, right? that experiential knowledge. Yeah. So after you've, after you've read it, and then you've read it, and then you've read it, and then you've watched the world, and you've you know, gotten to a point that you can see it, then you would never go back to say that these are not uh, the facts of the world. These are just explaining the way things really are. Mm. And you can fight it. You can fight it pretty aggressively. I know that one of the uh, the passages about uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, Nimrod is lamenting that uh, Yahweh was right. <laughs> and he he fought it his whole life to to try to build his own system. And yeah, he just he, had, he admitted at the end that 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 was the true God. That was the that was the true reality. Interesting. I don't recall what you're talking about, but yeah, I I think you're headed in the right direction there for sure. Certainly. You know, one of the things that occurred to me about perspective recently was this: I was having a conversation with an uncle recently, and he was talking about how everything God does 
is for the purpose of his own glory. And yeah, that's true. That's true. But that's not the side of things that I really have any desire to look at exactly because... I would totally ask a question. Where does he get those words? From the Bible. They're in there. Okay. Does it say that Jesus will come and slay them with the uh, the blade of his, the sword of his uh, uh, mouth, the sword of his voice, the sword of his words? The, uh, the glory. How do you define glory in the eyes of God? That's that's actually a really interesting one because I asked him. So, you know how the Bible defines God's glory, right? Because there is a place where in in Scripture, actually, Paul talks about what God's glory is, and it's it's in the context of the Corinthians, I think. But the idea is, uh, it says, as as man is the glory of God, so woman is the glory of man. And and when I found that passage, I went, so this is a fun one for people who look at it that way. So here's the way I see what that statement, that God does everything for his own glory. God does everything to perfect humanity. In creation, God does everything to perfect humanity. Because if man is the glory of God, and he does everything for his own glory, then he's doing everything for our sakes. And that's amazing. Removing scales from our eyes. Well, but in the end, saying that made this particular uncle really uncomfortable because, because in his mind... God's self-sufficiency has to be more important than his concern for us. And and I just don't... To me... <coughs> excuse me. To me... Bless you. Yeah. To me, what matters here, the way I look at this is... I see what God has done for me... When we say, what is God's purpose? He does everything for his own glory. An inextricable part of that is the sacrifice that Christ made for me. And that leaves me in such awe and with such appreciation that there is no room for resentment or any kind of weirdness toward God's motives there because what he's done for me is everything to me. It it. It gives me life and light where I didn't have any hope of it before. And, I mean, the word good means something different to me 50 steps along in my Christian walk compared to what it did when I was at step one. I understand what good means better because I have a more direct experience of good than I ever could have imagined before. Things are more good than they can be outside of God. Outside of God, there is no such thing as good. So, he has done and is everything to me. And so what if he has done everything for a purpose that I don't quite understand, that maybe can't be quite encapsulated by doing everything for my benefit? Am I really so selfish that I would think that an all-powerful God should do everything for my benefit? I mean, whatever it is, what he has done for me is so tremendous that when I view it from a proper perspective, it leaves me with a proper attitude of humility and appreciation and gratitude. And I think that perspective is very useful for your day-to-day um, interactions, both with people and the world around you. Um, yes. And if, if there's no if there's no cause greater than yourself, then there's no cause not to take advantage of someone in the moment, to take advantage of, you know, the the fruit on the vine, right, and, and kill the vine for for eating all of the uh, uh, leaves, right? Sure. Take all it's, the fruit, take all the leaves, take all the 
Well, and, and uh, it's it. Yeah, you're right. And it, you know, we were set to be in to have dominion over the world because guess what? If you leave the animals to do their thing, they don't balance themselves properly. You get weird natural overruns in leaf eaters or in whatever, what have you, and they end up damaging the environment. We, God put us here for a reason. And it was to, it was to retain and maintain that exact thing you're talking about, the correct balance of things here. It was sort of our purpose. It's interesting. It is. It is. Well, and through, through a perspective of both our overall communities and an individual responsibility. Yeah. To be pr to be proud of and to be uplifting. That that responsibility to be proud of and uplifting. Yep. Hmm. Oh, but don't listen to us. Read your Bible. <laughs> Always. Well, and you know what Paul says? He says, test the spirits. Test what I have to say against what the scriptures say to make sure that it's correct. Why do I hear Saul? What? Paul Saul. Saul is Paul? Saul was given the name Paul after, okay, God, after God confronted him on the road to Damascus and blinded him. And Saul had been murdering and persecuting Christians. And God's like, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And he got a new name and he spent a few years learning to talk to the Holy Spirit. And then he came back and he was an entirely different human being who became the, the greatest tool for outreach in the Christian church in the first century. He was a tremendous force a tremendous tool in God's hands. So this mercenary, this uh, killer of men for, for profit. No, men... not profit. Oh, it was religious for motives for spite. No religious motives. He was oh, killing he... people because they were a sect of Judaism that he believed went against what the Jews believed to the point where they needed to be dealt with. I see. And then, from the revelations he was given, he came to the glory of God is in man. Well, or is like likened to the way that men's glory is. No, he said, as as woman is the glory of man, man is the glory of God. Was the concept that he presented? So, you know, the same people who who would say that that God does everything to his glory are mm -hmm. generally the ones who hold very tightly to what scripture says and don't see any place for um, Paul to be wrong. And I generally don't think he was, you know, if it says all scripture is inspired by God. That's, that's a pretty heavy, uh, heavy weight uh, over my own opinion, right? It's like, well, Compared to that, what I think just doesn't even count. So, but it is very useful in in playing out the narrative. Um, who God said said that statement. You're right. Right. So it's it's from the perspective of a a, a convert, right? That that has that that uh, loving your enemy down pat. He. He certainly, after he converted, he, there were certainly episodes where he, he showed loving his enemies at a level that I would have trouble doing. He's a prisoner and he's making sure that his captors are safe and okay and that nobody gets hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so what do you do if you find someone that is otherworldly in a different narrative than you understand or feel like that you can reach? Well, I think what I would say is that God put the same, some of the same needs and desires and 
similarities inside of each of us, right? So there's there's that saying there's a god-shaped hole inside of each of us. But it's it's more than that. There are similarities we have because we're human beings like our our need for um companionship. Right? That was the original thing that God said was not good was that Adam was alone. Are we all of us have a need for friendship and for companionship. And that's common to humans. Nobody nobody stays sane if they're alone for too long. What about uh, sedentary behaviors? I think that Well, some I mean there are all of... kinds of there are all kinds of negative things that come in, right, that we have. And, and desires for pleasure, desires for food, desires for... I mean, there are, those, the, those things are all common to us, right? But the point is, when people have those narratives that are so far off of where we're at, the only way I know to appeal to them is to speak to those commonalities that do exist as best I'm able. And eventually, because I genuinely do believe that God put a hole in each of us that only he can fill, that, that he is the only thing that can satisfy each of us in a certain way, that eventually if we create a commonality with people, whoever this person is we're trying to relate to, that there may be an opportunity to share the God that fills the hole that nothing else can fill. That's the best I know. I would say that uh, some good practical concepts for uh, fishing those people <laughs> um, is to be familiar with what the what they believe, right? Be familiar with what they think they they, they know, even if it may be incorrect. Um, to go after what they do use as a foundation. Um, we have something like a timeline going that's correct, and then they've you know gone off of that. Yeah, get my angles sure. down. They've, sure. they've gone off of that. So if At you can find angle, the point, right. right? If you can find the point that you connect again, then you can get them back on track. Um, certainly, well, just via. I would, I would, I would be very hesitant at strategizing too hard when it comes to leading people to God. The best thing that we can do is just love them as best we know how, and listen to well, what was, the Holy Spirit has to say. Well, and that was my next commentary, was to keep the Bible on hand and reference, reference it often enough that it's in uh, people's minds that you keep bringing this up. It's always right. It doesn't fail. And you pick any other narrative. You can find where it broke off and where it failed. Well, and, and you're right about, you're right to say that, but at the same time, you know, the, there are different ways to reach different people, and there's no way I'm going to figure out what the right way is. You're right that we need to refer back to the truth. You're right that we need to point to God as much as we can, that we need to... I mean, all those things are true, but, but again, I would just say, be careful strategizing too much. Just love people as best you know how and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, because everybody's different, and what we each need is very different. That's fair. That's fair. And that is the great um, commission, right? Is to reach the people and to make disciples. And that's, that is the great commission. It is a, it is a glorious commission. <laughs> well, and it, it is the, it is the order of the day until the end of the age, at which time priorities may change, but he'll come and tell us in person at that point, And we'll, We'll have a better idea of where we're going then than we do now in that sense, and we don't need to worry about it because now is the time for the Great Commission. You going to call that good? I think that's a reasonable spot. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.